0: Hello and welcome to another episode of History Lesson Part 2. I'm Jackson McDonald. I'm Tyler Shipley. And on today's episode, we will be doing something a little bit different. To set the scene here, it is the morning of January the 10th. It is perhaps a little late for uh, 2022 wrap-up content, but... uh, you know we both have lives and <laughs> <laughs> recording this podcast is often very uh uh long so <laughs> yeah. uh we've uh, we've decided to uh discuss our best and worst uh movies for, of 2022 or perhaps uh to put it a little bit more descriptively our favorites and least favorites uh of 2022 uh the the plan here is going to be that we're going to go through First, our honorable mentions, and then our bests, and then our worsts. Uh, I think in, I'm going to say in semi-ascending order, although I know for me, I I don't have a firm ranking necessarily, especially for my worsts. So we'll kind of see how it goes. Some of our movies, we're going to have a lot to say about. Others, not so much. So um, I'm I'm pretty excited about doing this because I feel like it's going to be an opportunity to uh, fire out a lot of brief movie opinions all at once so that people can kind of get more of a sense of where we're coming from uh, when we do our deeper discussions. And I I think at some point, too, I'd also like to do uh, a more broad, uh, just like episode about what we like and what we don't like in general uh, to kind of give people a sense of where, you know, why we think what we think. I know, uh, for myself, especially, uh, I feel like sometimes I, my opinions might kind of baffle people. Um, but that's for the future. This yeah. is for right now. And, uh, I think it's gonna go a long way towards kind of, uh, explaining myself. And I hope you feel the same way too, Tyler.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think <clears throat> the, the what I always find interesting is that w- when you and I, um, disagree the, the films that you and I seem to disagree about the most I've I'm noticing usually fall into the same category which is relatively simplistic straight ahead uh sort of s- like unsubtle criticisms of the status quo mm-hmm. um and and there's a lot of movies like that and and so th- in those movies it's like those are the ones that you and I seem to just like it it falls down to personal preference Yeah, Um, totally. Right. Whereas if there's a movie where there's a really solid, well-conceived critique, we usually both like it. If there's a movie that's Mm -hmm. just retrograde and reactionary, like the Boondock Saints, we both hate it. But it's those ones in the middle. And I know, uh, you know, that one of those is going to come up today. Um, Those are the ones that, you know, it'll, yeah, it'll be interesting for us to parse kind of like, well, what is it? Why, you know, why did, why did you dislike Parasite? um but like ready or not which are in, in some ways they both are doing you know a similar kind of thing so eh, that'll be fun but yeah, yeah well i'm today, glad you brought those two fire.
0: movies up because they're gonna come up like, I know. again later <laughs> I know. um I so we'll we'll start off uh with your honorable mention i the, the way we're going to do this is in some cases uh we have doubles and we may just uh double up and discuss Uh, the one movie and then move on in other cases i might hold off on my opinion for when i do my list but uh you know we'll just sort of play it by ear so i'll let you uh you go first i think i did quite large lists and you did somewhat smaller lists that's fine uh but why don't you you start me off with your your first honorable mention
1: yeah, I tried to contain. Uh, I tried to do six, six, and six of each. Um, That's so great. So there's things that got you know. That's moved much more uh,
0: restraint than than I exhibited. I'm, so I'm conscious that the,
1: our last episode needed to be broken into two because it was so long. So yeah. I tried to contain yeah, it a totally. bit. Um, I want to start though here. I want to. I want to say uh, the the true honorable mention uh, is, is to you and I doing this podcast. I, I was thinking about this the other day. This is our end of year reflection and, you know, uh, starting a podcast, which by the way, I, I swore I would never do, but here I am, um, <laughs> you know, doing a podcast is like embarking on, uh, a structured, uh, and, and public, uh, friendship basically. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, we just get together every few, few weeks and shoot the shit about these movies that we're watching, uh, and it's been great and I'm having so much fun doing it. So I'm, I want to say thank you, honorable mention to Jackson McDonald for creating ah, you this. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, am putting that out there now because I know we're going to, we're going to have a bitter, bitter struggle later about one of the films on our yeah, list. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So my honorable mentions, um, uh, I'm going to start with crimes of the future. Um, great, David, okay. David Cronenberg's crimes of the future. Um, in some ways it could have been on my best of list. Uh, it's very David Cronenberg. Uh, you know, of course, Viggo Mortensen is in it and Vigo is great as he always is. Um, yeah. it, it slipped out of my my best of just because um, I'm grossed out easily. Like, uh, yeah. I, it, it, I, it like body stuff, you know, like body horror is really should not be my genre. So Cronenberg is tough for me. And it's one of those things where I, you know, watching it, I know it's, Good And I know it's smart. There's a lot of things that are really smart about it. So the way that, mm-hmm. you know, he conceives of a future where, uh, you know, humanity has surpassed pain, we have solved basically pain, we don't feel pain anymore. And so in, in a weird way, then people start to eroticize the idea of trying to feel pain again. Yeah. Um, that's a cool idea. I like the way he thinks. Um, but at the same time, I was I was grossed out, like I had to kind of cover my eyes at, at sure. many of the scenes. So that's the reason it doesn't make it into my my best of list, but I mean it's vintage. It's everything you like about Cronenberg is is in there, yeah. Um, and you know, great performances across the board. So that one uh, was was easily up there for me.
0: Yeah, that one is is firmly uh, planted in my top ten, and I'll just we'll just skirt by it right now because uh, I don't have too much more to say about it other than what you said. But uh, it is one of I think like the more fascinating and interesting. sci-fi futures i have seen imagined on screen in quite some time and uh, Mm -hmm. i went to see it by myself in the theater and uh when it ended like i wasn't expecting it to end necessarily Mm -hmm. i found the ending like very abrupt and Mm -hmm. and very kind of like i was kind of taken aback and i just sat there Mm -hmm. for for like half the credits just going like (laughs) yeah whoa what the fuck and i and i actually like had to like take a minute and be like did i like that mm-hmm. and then and then i thought about it for a second and i was like yeah no i really liked that that was really really good yeah. um but it, it is like uh i would say you know so i love body horror so that uh and i love cronenberg so that stuff didn't bother me but i did find it very um challenging in a way that some of Cronenberg's movies are are not as challenging, uh, especially his recent ones. Like, it's not as watchable or as I, I hesitate to say fun because there are no David Cronenberg movies that are fun. No, but, you know, uh there are certainly ones like, you know, a history of violence or Videodrome that are like breezier that maybe have uh, some humor in them. This one was, yeah. was was it was tough to get through, but I thought it yeah. was really fantastic existence existence is fun yeah i haven't seen um, it in a long time but i i remember it being good when
1: we when we do our cronenberg uh yeah. episode yeah. i will have a lot to say about existence it is my favorite of his and yeah we
0: got to do a cronenberg episode yeah, no yeah, question yeah. i've yeah. literally cleared a room forced
1: my friends to watch existence and, and basically Amazing. cleared the room because everyone hated it and i was just enthralled Brilliant. um okay so uh that was that was that um Next on my list is, um, Beatles, get back the, oh, the documentary. Yeah.
0: I didn't yeah. think to put this on my list, but I loved it. So, yeah. uh, I, I respect, I, 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 not to jump into your take, but as somebody who grew up with the Beatles and they were like my first favorite band and who grew up with the idea that those let it be sessions were just the band all hating each other and exactly. uh, or whatever, it was such a beautiful, Uh, like, uh, uh, counter, sort of counter programming to that narrative. Totally. That's all I have to say about it. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is, you know, um,
1: I, I came away from it with two things that I didn't expect. And the first was Mm -hmm. that I didn't expect the Beatles to just be guys in the way that they were just guys. Like, it, it, I watched it and, I was just flooded the whole time with nostalgia for being in the studio with my friends, recording, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. being idiots, um, telling stupid it captures jokes. captures what it is like to be in a band. Oh, yeah. Perfectly. Totally. And, and yeah. the fact that they are already the Beatles. This uh-huh. isn't them as young guys. This is them already having been the Beatles. And they're still like that. And they're still the same. And they get in there. And it's just like, you know, John Lennon turned out to be... Exactly like my friend Gareth in the in the studio, like to an uncanny <laughs> yeah. level, it was like I was in the studio with Gareth again, um, mm-hmm. and that connects me to the other thing that that I took away from it, which was that John Lennon was so much cooler than I realized. Like, yeah, for me, watching the sessions, I came away with like, yeah, Paul, you know, and I've as I've gotten older, I've come to like and appreciate Paul McCartney a lot more than I did as a as a teenager. But, He's my favorite now as an adult, but yeah. Well, see, I had sort of gotten there too, but then watching mm. the documentary, I actually was like, yeah, wait yeah, a yeah. minute, you know what? John is really yeah. funny. He is really yeah. sharp. He's really funny. He actually doesn't dominate the room in the way that no. you expect uh-huh. him to. But no, he Paul is, does. Paul does. Yeah, Paul is overbearing yeah. and telling everyone what to do, and John is actually quite quiet, and yet John is the gravity in the room. Everyone defers yeah. to John, not because he like tells everyone off, but because he's just so fucking cool. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, <laughs> I, I just, I
1: did not expect that going in. I had gotten to the point where I probably would have said John was my least favorite beetle and I came away from it totally feeling differently. So
0: yeah. Hats and the other off thing to I, Peter I, Jackson I, for
1: the work he did there. Yeah.
0: Fantastic work. The, the other thing I really loved about it is that it, uh, It really, what I thought it showed was that, was that their real, the real issues that they were having were the exhaustion of being a, going from being a band to being a brand. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, basically they're just how exhausted and irritated they are by all their hangers on Mm -hmm. and all the stupid, like, what if you played a show on a boat? Yeah. Like, just like people who are, people who are not creatives, Mm -hmm. really, people who are not like, I'm willing to say like basically geniuses the way mm-hmm. that uh, at least John and Paul were like trying to give them their shitty ideas about what they should do and just being like, I'm fucking so tired of this. I just want to mm-hmm. go make songs again. So mm-hmm. yeah, I thought it was great too. Uh, what's next? Yeah. Um, so related to that, uh, I think the,
1: the, the jump from there is that um, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis is going to go on my honorable mentions list. And I just watched this the other day and I watched it full disclosure because it was on your list that you sent me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I thought, now I actually, here's the thing I knew it was a Baz Luhrmann and I knew it was Elvis. And I um, don't really like Elvis's music that much. Um, I hate almost all of Baz Luhrmann's movies. Um, I also hate Baz Luhrmann. Okay. Okay. okay, Good general. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I can't stand musicals as a rule. Um, mm-hmm. Like there was just there were so many things that made me think, perfect, this is one I'm going to hate uh, yeah. and we can fight about it. And it turns out uh, I didn't hate it. Like, oh, yeah. um, oh, oh and I forgot to mention, I fucking hate Tom Hanks. So. Oh, so sure. There, OK, yeah. so many things that should have been strikes against it. Um, and yet, especially in the context of having just watched Beatles get back this year mm-hmm. and, you know, they very evidently like it's a reminder of how influenced they were by Elvis and that blues (laughs) stuff from that time period. Like John constantly, they're trying to practice new songs and John just wants to play blue suede shoes over and over again. Um,
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Right. So it's like an Elvis movie. This is the right time for it. And it was really thrilling to watch. It was so enjoyable as I was watching it. Um, Most of the Lerman's
0: inability to help himself when it comes to anything yeah like to just be so loud and gaudy and over the top is a thing that works perfectly when the subject of your movie is Elvis. That's basically how i how I felt about it was just that like all the stuff that I normally hate about bas lerman it, it like it just it it works perfectly for this specific movie,
1: yeah. Yeah, it lands really well, and it actually normally I hate the shit that he does with kind of mixing past and present and mm-hmm. like updating. I I thought most of the way that the music was done was really good. Um, I did there was mm-hmm. part some I didn't like. I didn't I didn't think he sure I didn't think you know introducing hip hop into it was having the in the effect he thought it yeah. was probably having. Um, sure. But I really liked the way that the the early blues and gospel stuff was recorded and then blended in yeah. with. The Elvis performances. Um, the guy who played
0: Elvis did a great job. I, he is you know, unbelievable. You know how yeah. hard it is to play Elvis. Yeah, I can imagine, like, right? And, and to the thing that I really appreciated was how he he got his vocal timbre correct over the entirety of his life and how mm-hmm. it changed. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. anybody can do, you know, figure for much Elvis. Yeah, yeah. Anybody can do that. He could get Elvis's high register, which most people fuck up. Most people can't. Mm-hmm. They don't even come close. And um, and yeah, he 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 is just like Elvis. You know, it's hard to play Elvis and not be over the top. And exactly. if you try to undersell it, it's just going to be weird. But the the combination of his performance and the over the top uh you know direction and art department stuff and whatever yeah. i thought he was brilliant i he should get an oscar nod i i would i would hope because i think playing elvis is a spectacularly difficult thing to do yeah
1: yeah exactly because it's hard to avoid being the stereotype but as you say if you undersell it then you're missing the point of what made elvis such a phenomenon so mm-hmm yeah i thought it was great um on reflection i liked it less which is why it ended up in my honorable mentions and not my best of um in part because i think it's like now is the time for a good elvis movie and in some moments the -the over-the-top montage stuff kind of took away from the tragedy of the story which i Mm -hmm. think lorman's trying to gesture towards the the fact that it's actually a really sad story yes um and at times it lands and it gets the it gets you there, but at times it doesn't, and it needs to do more to get you there. And and also, I mean, the fact that Tom Hanks is the fucking narrator, <laughs> like doing a shitty Dutch accent, Kentucky Fried memory <laughs> right? Like that pissed me off.
0: It never I stopped that, pissing me off. I, I I thought it was like <laughs> I thought it was kind of. Brilliant in a incre- incredibly stupid way, like it. it uh, once again, like we've discussed, like some movies are great by accident. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about a lot of the stuff in Elvis. Is like, yeah, fair. If you're not with what Tom Hanks is doing it, in it, I totally understand. <laughs> yeah. But for me, it worked. Yeah, uh, okay. Uh, because not because the performance is good, but because it is so alien. Like so inhuman and uncanny that it <laughs> that it really I I think like hammered home what they were trying to convey about Tom Parker. Yeah, so maybe. Yeah, but maybe. I, I I understand it for people who were just watching this and just being like, okay, uh, yeah, why is why is Mike Myers like <laughs> yeah. why is it Mike Myers character exactly? It's like fat bastard running the fucking show, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I
1: mean, in fairness, I think also I didn't like that that gave the Colonel the sort of the power of narration, even though the film is supposed to be about the Colonel being the villain Mm -hmm. and the, you know, the chief manipulator, which Mm -hmm. I mean, that is what the film's trying to do. And I respect that and I appreciate that, but also I feel like it undermined that project by having him still narrate the story and kind of be in a position to shape your viewing of it. So that was, that left me a little bit cold, but, um, Nevertheless, uh, it's on the list. Okay. So moving on to, um, I guess this is my fourth, um, Pinocchio, Ah. Del Del Toro's Pinocchio. Um, I kept it on here. This is one that in some ways I kind of wanted to put, like, I didn't think it kind of made the cut, but I kept it as an honorable mention in part just because I wanted to talk about it. Um, Del Toro's Pinocchio is, is very interesting. Um, it's beautiful to watch as you would expect. Um, it's the animation smart. Is great. the animation's incredible It makes a really bold choice that I that I respect uh, which is mm-hmm. that it sets the story during the rise of fascism and then the the you know the dominance of fascism in Italy it sets it during mm-hmm. the era of Mussolini and it crafts the story or reimagines the story as a series of sort of vignettes in which Pinocchio, has to uh, basically find and create and foster anti-fascist solidarity. He does this in the circus mm-hmm. with uh, the, the monkey. Uh, he does it in the, in the uh, military camp with the son of the general. He does this in various different moments where he forges sort of anti-fascist alliances. And that's very cool. And all of that made me want to really, really like it. And yet something mm-hmm. about it did not sit well with me. And strangely enough, anyone I've asked, no one else seems to have got this impression. So maybe it's, maybe it's my problem, but I just found that the fascists were not sinister enough. Like I get that it's a kid's Uh, movie, uh, obviously. And, and, but he's done Mm. kids movies before where there were extremely sinister villains, including fascists. Like del Toro knows how to craft a sinister monster villain. Mm -hmm. And I felt like he really pulled his punches with bitches uh, out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, like Mussolini himself is portrayed as a doofus, a short doofus, um, not as a cruel, terrifying villain. The fascist Mm. general, uh, the father of the other kid is portrayed like as a, as a overbearing patriarchal dad, not as a fucking
0: fascist. Like, well, one of my one of my biggest criticisms of a lot of movies is not making the evil guy evil enough. Mm-hmm. That was the thing in *Parasite*. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I agree actually with your take on *Pinocchio*, but we'll get uh, to my thoughts on it a little bit later. Okay. And, okay. And there's also another movie where I kind of sort of feel the same way. Okay. Uh, maybe yeah. not as obviously, but. Um, yeah. Anything? Anything okay. more on Pinocchio, or do you have? Uh, no, that's that's it. That's all on? I
1: wanted to say about okay, that. And me. it sounds like we'll come back to it. And then we the will. Yeah. Uh, the last two on my list. One is I'll skip through this because uh, sure. I know you've got stuff to say about Prey. Um, oh yeah, the, sure. the new update Perfect. in the in the Predator franchise. So it's on my honorable mm-hmm. mentions. But I'm going to let Jackson take the lead on that. And then um, oh yeah, and then Kids in the Hall, Comedy Punks. Um, oh yeah, totally. I really so I really loved the new Kids in the Hall. I was. I expected Mm -hmm. nothing. I went in expecting old guys who aren't funny anymore. I was really surprised that the new stuff was funny and held up. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so that made me watch the documentary and the documentary was really great. It, um, it actually contextualized the rise of kids in the hall very well and the context in which they kind of emerged. And um, I, I just, I, I really liked it. I, I found myself weirdly nostalgic for an era that I was like a kid in, um, yes. and you know, I was not it's not I wasn't watching Kids in the Hall as they were getting big. I was no. really too young for it
0: at that time. Um, they were a staple of uh, of like uh, the Comedy Network or whatever though when I was a kid. Yeah, sure. I know, like, I know. I mean, because yeah.
1: they never really went out of style because they their stuff stayed funny. Um, well, because so yeah, it's I,
0: very. It's not attached to the cultural moment, mm-hmm. really, yeah, that exactly. much. At least, like, I'm not a big kids in the hall guy in the sense that I've just never done my time, like, looking into it. Um, I've been shown stuff and thought it was funny. Like, I always thought, uh, doors, the doors fan sketch was funny, mm-hmm. but first, the horse. That's, yeah. that's funny. Um, that's like, that's kind of the extent that I, that I know, but I, from what I've seen of them, they're, they were never trying to do, like, topical humor. No. And as a result, it ages way, way, way better. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of like, uh, uh, you know, I think you should leave or whatever, mm-hmm. which I think mm-hmm. is going to age really well because it's completely detached from the cultural moment.
1: Yeah. So, totally. Yeah. I'm yeah. not surprised
0: and, that it ages well.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And and in the documentary, like, I I I had that sense of kind of, you know, when you see a place that you know, I I, I you, I'm not a nationalist. I never will be. out oh, no. A shit about yeah. Canada. Um, but. But a place that I know, so you know, like mm-hmm. so seeing Toronto in certain moments, you know, that's comforting in, in, in its own way. Sure. I was even going to say when, when watching Crimes of the Future, the arrival of Don McKellar, like every time Don McKellar is in a Cronenberg movie, like a part mm-hmm. of me is just like, yes, <laughs> you know, this. He's just some fucking guy in Toronto. Like he is. Sure the most toronto actor that has ever existed and the fact that he just always shows up in these cronenberg movies you know it just it's this little comfort of kind of just familiarity which i also had with you know the kids in the hall especially their early the early footage um sure so that is my honorable mentions list
0: okay great uh i'm gonna speed through mine pretty quickly Prey was not on either of my lists just because I didn't actually watch it in 2022. I watched it at your behest, uh, not last night, but the night before, uh, and can say definitively it would have been on at least, at least my honorable mention list if I had seen it earlier. Uh, I thought it was really good. Like, I, I, I it's a, it's a testament to just not trying to do too much, in my opinion. Like, it really is not overly ambitious. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, like, it, it takes a, a really, really simple concept, uh, one that I'm shocked has never been tried before. Uh, like, put the Predator in a historical period. <laughs> yeah. Why has yeah. no one thought of that before? Like, most of the, pre- I, I didn't even think the first Predator movie was that good. Personal yeah. yeah. I know some people really love it. My biggest complaint about both about every Predator movie is the Predator looks so dope. Why do you spend so much time making him invisible? Which looks like shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, this one That's does true. more with the invisibility, I think, that I've seen in any other Predator movie because they do they've found cool ways to like there's a scene where he's running through a a, a field of tall grass and it's like an overhead shot and you see the grass uh, getting, like, smushed. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that yeah, looks yeah. really good. The blood splattering across him while he's invisible. Mm-hmm. Like, they do a lot with the with the invisibility on in this one, so I give them credit for that. Very cool uh, to just see, you know, I believe it's uh, uh, the Comanche peoples mm-hmm. of the the Great Plains, um, but any really like any indigenous thing at all rendered so painstakingly and, uh, accurately on screen. Yeah. Uh, I love that the, the, all the French fur traders are just a bunch of morons. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, spoilers obviously for all of those movies, but, but particularly go forward 30 seconds if you don't want this ruined for you. Uh, the guy, shooting the predator in the face and then having the bullet come back <laughs> and dome him in the face and yeah, die yeah, yeah. was uh one of the funniest things I saw in a movie this year. Um Yeah, I thought it was great. Not trying too hard, looked mostly pretty good, have a couple of minor criticisms, but they basically apply to any other movie that would try to do the same thing. So it's not even worth it to really get into it. And, and probably, yeah,
1: I mean, when, you know, Anything that I'll want to say about that movie, I'll I'll say when we have our bigger discussion about James Cameron, Avatar, etc. Because sure. okay. I know that's yeah. going to come up today, right. but also like well, that'll be its own episode.
0: Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, next up is uh, the Wonder, which is uh, a movie that I basically just put on here because I wouldn't mind maybe discussing it at some point. Um, it's about a uh, like an English woman who she's a nurse and she goes to a small town and. Post uh, Great Famine Ireland to investigate uh, a, a young girl who is claiming to have not eaten for something like six months. Hmm. And she investigates this uh, and she's sent to do that while at the same time, like a nun is also investigating it from a more like clerical. Uh, is it a real miracle religious sort of uh, outlook? I didn't love it, but I thought it was interesting. Mm. uh and i and i would i kind of want to do an episode on it because i kind of want to see what you think about it and what you would have to say about it because you would actually understand the history of it Mm. so that's all i'm gonna say about that i don't know anything about Uh, it so i'll have to check it out it was also based on a book that my wife read so that's why we watched it next up is uh x which is just a very fun uh 70s period horror movie about how old people are gross (laughs) thought it was really good Mm -hmm. uh Next up, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which I know you have things to say about. Yeah. I just thought it was fun. For those of you that aren't familiar, this is the movie where Nicolas Cage plays himself. Uh, that's really all you need to know about it, I think, in terms of plot. <laughs> uh, it, it could have been really memey, and it wasn't, uh-huh. and I respected that. Mm-hmm. Like, I was, I went in being like, Oh, this could be like really, really Joss Whedon, like soy banter. Mm -hmm. And it's really not at all. And it's not to, it's not trying to, uh, it's not trying to Chuck Norris, uh, Nicolas Cage too much. It's not going in and being like lol. uh, Nicolas Cage is so epic. You know, it's really just a very fun buddy comedy Mm -hmm. with, with Nicolas Cage playing himself. And Pedro Pascal uh playing a very fun character. Maybe yeah. even more fun in the movie than, than Nick Cage is. I
1: yeah, think. Pedro Pascal stole it. Like he well no, he didn't steal it, but he made it work because yes. he yes. was so earnest. Pedro Pascal plays uh Uh, You you are never sure just how involved he is in organized crime, but he is somewhere in the matrix of organized crime, this wealthy uh, Spanish guy who is a huge super fan of Nicolas Cage, knows all of his films. And and Pedro Pascal is like your way in because – you know The way that he loves all of those movies is the way that – I mean certainly for me, the way that I love them. I love Nicolas Cage. I'm, I've always yeah, – I never too. stopped loving Nicolas Cage at any point. Um, and, and you're right. I had the same fear. Uh, they're going to turn this into – they're going to basically make fun of Nicolas Cage or he's going to make fun of himself or it's going to just be this big joke. Um, Which and he, they,
0: he does do a little bit.
1: Yes. Just enough. But ju- but but in ways that are really sensitive, they aren't like yes. obvious, yeah. like there's no mention of the bees. I don't think there's any mention of the bees, no. yeah. which, you know, I mean, I love the scene. It's really funny, but I'm glad it wasn't there. It's you but you, know, you it's... can't
0: make it funnier. Exactly. And it was exactly and that is a thing that a lot of people again, it's going to come up later. A lot of people struggle with is. Yeah. You can't you can't cheat code your way to being funny by taking a thing that is already as funny as it could be. Mm-hmm. People yeah. struggled with this with Trump so much. Yes, like, absolutely. The real Trump was
1: always funnier than funnier
0: than anything you could say yes. about him or or do with him really. Yeah. yeah uh, no, Nicholas the... Cage could be like that. Mm-hmm. But they 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 the filmmakers showed a lot of restraint, I thought. Well, the uh, the
1: best lines are are actually sort of some of the more sincere but also funny lines. Like the, my favorite line in the whole movie is when they're sitting like by the dock or whatever and Pedro Pascal says something about uh, Captain Corelli's mandolin and Nicolas Cage sort of casually is like a deeply underrated film. And it's, <laughs> yeah. and it's like, yes, it is. That's exactly That's right. Great. And, and you know, most people who, who are casual Nicolas Cage meme fans would not think of Captain Corelli's mandolin. Um, you know, so it, it it was just, it was packed with those little treats for people who, um, you know, have appreciated all of the movies he made. One other thing I want to say about it, and I know I'm taking a little time with it, but this was on my best of list. So I'm, I I feel justified. That's okay. Um, you know, one thing that I really, really appreciated about the film was that the guys that wrote it. Um, You know, when they pitched it to Nicolas Cage, he actually sort of sat down with them and worked on the script and and they adjusted things like, for instance, the ways in which they had crafted Nicolas Cage as the shitty dad. He kind of was like, hey, just a second. Um, Like, that's not I'm not like that. Like, there's ways in which I can be, you know, a shitty dad, but but not like that. So they they sure. actually sort of softened the way that he was as a father and they made his his mm-hmm. bad father stuff a lot less bad, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and that was at the at the behest of of Nicolas Cage to say, like, no, I got a I've got a good relationship with my daughter, like, you know, and I don't want to yeah, portray totally. our family in this way. So yeah, it, it just sounded like, you know, from at every stage of it of the production of the film, it was like it was a really good faith kind of thing. And it was Nicolas Cage in good faith, having a laugh at himself without being stupid about it um, or over the top. Um, You know, which is a funny thing to say about a movie where he screams Nicolas fucking Cage.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But uh, yeah.
1: Anyways, great film. Great film.
0: Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, And then, so I have two more honorable mentions here that both fall under the category of movies that other people thought were great that I thought were just merely pretty good. The first of them being nope. Don't have a ton of ton to say about it honestly because we're going to do a Jordan Peele episode for sure. I basically thought just thought that it was a pretty good like kaiju movie. Mhm. Kind of Spielbergy uh in a good way. Uh fun to watch on a big screen. But uh you know I I kind of think Jordan Peele needs to work on his his metaphors a little bit in terms of how much he wants to use them, the, the way in which he wants to deploy them, because I thought this was very much like a movie that is really trying to make you think that it has something deep to say, but is ultimately just a movie about a bunch of people getting chased by a big vacuum um, <laughs> yeah. and would have been better uh, without kind of that extra element of trying to be like, Oh, uh, you know, it kills people because they can't look away. And, you know, the whole kind of thing with the chimp that I thought just like felt really out of place uh, mm-hmm. for me personally uh, in the movie uh, the strength of Get Out was that it was not a metaphor. Like, it was just mm-hmm. obvious, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. straightforward. The yeah. strength of Us is that it had multiple interpretations and was actually, like, so opaque that I think it became interesting uh mm-hmm. trying to determine, like, what exactly he's trying to say in it. Uh This one fell in the, like, anti-Goldilocks zone mm-hmm. for me yeah. of just, like... Not really, uh, it just didn't really work for me, uh, despite the fact that I thought most of the movie, most of the elements of the movie were pretty good. Yeah,
1: yeah, I I share most of that and, I, you know, save it for when we do. I think we should do an episode um, just about those films, because especially uh, the second one, I think there's a lot more. Uh, that I would want to say about that one. but uh, Yeah, me too. Yeah, no, it's my I, personal I, favorite. I agree with you. And I think similarly, it was in my list of kind of like, yeah, this was good. It's it's certainly worth mention, but didn't even hang in in the honorable mentions ultimately. It's a very reasons.
0: firm third behind yeah. the other two movies, yeah, in my yeah. opinion. And I kind of mm-hmm. think anybody who's uh, who says otherwise is sort of kidding themselves. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then my last one, once again, maybe one that will piss people off that I only gave like a 3.5 that I didn't put in my top 10 is everything everywhere all at once. I will. I'll just say a few things about it. One, this movie is not for me and that's fine. Uh, so like if it was for you and you really loved it and give it a five out of five, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. That's fine. It, uh, it wasn't for me. And so there's a limit to how much I can criticize it. But at the same time, it was a little, just a, for me personally, a little too uh, lol-so-random-epic-bacon kind of <laughs> sense of humor. Yeah. Um, and it basically felt like it was originally a spec script for a Marvel movie that was too good and too interesting and too creative uh-huh. to be a Marvel movie. And so they made adjustments to it to make it kind of more of a... have more of an indie hit world word of mouth kind of vibe to it Mm -hmm. and um i don't have a problem with that like i think it's great to ultimately make like a uh a big like marvel style like multiverse movie that centers around like you know a 50 year old asian woman or whatever that's super cool more movies like that is fine with me but i also just kind of think that like for me, the horizon of what we can achieve with film should our bar should be a little higher than prestige Marvel movie. Yeah, I guess. Um yeah. So that's that's what I'll say about that. And uh, and yeah, that closes off my my honorable mention. So let's get into the best ofs. Uh There'll be a lot of repeating here. So hopefully we we don't uh, spend too much time on anything. I actually think we got through that uh, reasonably quickly. So what, uh, what starts off your best of list? Okay. So,
1: uh, again, I kept it to six. Um, I already talked about unbearable weight of massive talent. So we've covered that one, um, cheating a little bit because I know we said limited series and this may actually end up being uh, like, there may be more seasons of it, but, um, and or, um, Mm -hmm. the star Wars, uh, universe uh, TV show that focuses on the character of Cassian and or from Rogue One. Yeah, from Rogue One, um uh played by Diego Luna. Uh the show is phenomenal. It has no business existing in the Star Wars um, you know, universe, whatever it's called, um, in insofar as it is incredibly smart. Um uh just a just a wonderfully sophisticated portrayal of of not just how fascism operates but more importantly how people come to be revolutionaries um in those Mm -hmm. kinds of systems like the you know the arc for cassian is is that he does not you know we, we know he's going to become part of the rebel alliance because we know that from another movie that that character is in but this show starts yes, with him yeah. just being a guy who's trying to get by, basically, and look out for himself. Yeah. And he stays that way through most of the show. Like it's not like one thing happens and suddenly he's like, I'm gonna join the cause. Um, that's not at all the way life is. That's not at all the way people are. Um it a lot of things have to come together for a person to, you know, get to the stage where they're gonna take up arms. Uh, y- y- you know, in a revolutionary movement and this show do
0: terrorism, literally. Yeah. Right. <laughs> in, uh, in, in, uh, in the case of the Rogue One, which I, I, so I've watched the first two episodes of this seems okay so far. We'll see where it goes. H- haven't seen the whole thing yet. Saw Rogue One, thought it was pretty good, uh, given the circumstances and certainly in comparison to the other, mm-hmm. uh, post Lucas Star Wars stuff that's been made. But what is depicted in Rogue One? is a bunch of people doing terrorism. Yes. Um yeah. so so yeah like uh, how that happens is interesting. And I also not to we're going to do a Star Wars episode of something. Yes, point. that's a good um, idea. And uh one thing that I do think is, is is funny is that people have made the point basically that um if you go back now and watch the original Star Wars movie specifically the first one, it is essentially the story of like someone in al-Qaeda. <laughs> Who yeah. like you know has their it's like oh yeah my family home was destroyed by a drone you you, you know and so I planted a bomb in this uh, <laughs> this big like military yeah. center or whatever interesting reading of it Anyways. yeah
1: yeah yeah no um, I'll, I'm looking forward to our Star Wars episode and and when we do that I'll talk more about Andor but uh, yeah you know but both with the main character and also um, the many side characters there's a there's a mini arc where they are in prison um, that's just incredibly well. Uh, just very, very thoughtfully written, and the characters are very thoughtfully written, and the process is, um, yeah, it just, it it, it stands out amongst uh, that kind of, you know, MCU slash Star Wars type stuff. Right uh, I no, look forward
0: to getting to that part. No
1: lightsabers, not a single lightsaber. No one uses the Force. Uh, everything that happens in the show could happen in any, you know, basically interstellar kind of system. Um, yeah, Sure. Okay. So moving on from, and it's a bit of a cheating cause I know there might be more episodes of that one, but the rest of yeah, we'll mine see. are, yeah. are movies. Um, next on my list, uh, is a hero, um, or, uh, is the, the, um, the mm-hmm. Persian, uh, title of the movie. It's a movie from Iran. Um, that is just incredible. Uh, in, in some ways it's almost a perfect, uh, sort of film. Um, I'm assuming most people won't have seen it. Um, But it's, uh, the best way I can describe it is that it is the story of a, of a generally good man, um, but not a perfect man, um, Mm -hmm. who's caught in debt, uh, and as a result is in jail, um, and the debt is like probably kind of his fault, but kind of not, um, and in prison he's like, you know, kind of a good guy, but kind of not, and is trying to get out and is 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 trying to find some way he can he can get out so that he can be with the woman that he loves, his son who has a speech impediment and is struggling without his dad. But in order to try to get out, he's he's tempted by the idea of like conning and lying and cheating and stealing, and yet repeatedly tries not to do that and tries to find a way to sort of be a good man in spite of his circumstances. Uh so you know without sort of getting into any of the deeper plot points ultimately mm-hmm. it becomes a story of just the difficulty of balancing how to sort of survive in this world with how to be good generally in the world and and sure. he's stuck uh and and it's the story is perfectly crafted so that at each stage of these these sort of calamities that befall him um you totally understand how this has all gone wrong and how it is not really his fault. And, and yet he kind of never does himself any favors. Um, so he's a very yeah. realistic sort of character. Um, it's a really beautiful uh, film. It's incredibly acted. Amir Jadidi plays the main uh, character Rahim, and mm-hmm. it's just incredible stuff. So I, I I'll really have to check it out. Yeah. I, I, I highly I recommend it.
0: I hadn't even heard of it until you mentioned it. Uh, yeah. In, just incredible. It was on your um, list. So yeah.
1: I'll switch to one that we have both uh, seen. I know you watched sure. it just recently. Um, this is, for me, an almost, I, I said to you, it's an almost flawless film, yeah. Uh, yeah. The Banshees of Inisherin.
0: Yeah. I watched this last night, and it would have been in my top 10 if I had watched it earlier than last night.
1: Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's just fantastic. Uh, like, it is the slowest movie I've ever been mesmerized by. Like sure, like you yeah. you never want to pause it. You never want to stop even though really nothing happens except two guys
0: have a fight. Like,
1: you know, two guys yeah, get I upset mean, at each other.
0: I wouldn't say like nothing happens, but I would say like not much happens for the first hour at least. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. maybe even hour and a half. And then it does kind of start to come to a uh a, a a boil. I yeah. with this one, I, I honestly like it maybe could get its own episode or maybe it would be smart to do a, is it Martin McDonough? Yes. The director yeah. that maybe that would make more sense. Just so, just so that we can, uh because I know like uh, a lot of people have a lot of things to say about three billboards, which I've never seen. Uh, I really loved in Bruges. I want to give too much away about this one because it's pretty, a pretty recent movie and, you should just go watch it. Yeah. Anyone who's listening to this, go yeah, watch it yeah. right now. Turn the podcast off. Forget about it. it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Watch this movie instead. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was so funny, mm-hmm. like yeah. just, just extremely funny, uh, really like a, th- a a thinker, like it'll have me thinking about it for mm-hmm. a long time mm-hmm. because there's elements of it that are very strange. Like it's 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 rendered so realistically and it's very believable what happens yeah. and yet it's also so absurd at the yeah, same yeah. time it's so over and the top i will just say like all the actors in it are wonderful including the the like background actors colin farrell is so good in yes. roles like this like yes. like he's he is actually a truly wonderful actor yeah he just was not necessarily put in good stuff as a younger yes. man yeah now as an older man he really gets to be in, in these media roles he's so funny Yes. He's such a good comedic actor, and he is so good in this movie as a as just a very slow witted, kind of silly, <laughs> yeah. unserious man yeah. who is nonetheless like very compelling. Yeah. Uh, and a his of constant
1: ways. his constant sort of second guessing himself about like whether he's the idiot of the village, but no he can't yes. be. Uh, it's just yeah, no, I am a Colin Farrell
0: truther. And uh, on the same note too, Brendan Gleason is one of my favorite actors. Yeah. Um, he's fantastic in this. He so Colin Farrell kind of steals the, steals the show because he's, he does more mm-hmm. in it than Brendan mm-hmm. Gleason is asked to do. But Brendan Gleason is just one of those, like, uh, he was in that awful Trump two episode miniseries that he is nonetheless brilliant in, despite the fact that he doesn't, he's not even really trying to do Trump, uh, that well i could watch him like if this movie had just been brendan gleason in his like mood you know in his like dimly lit house yeah smoking his cigarette and just like reading a chinese menu yeah like just 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 like you know with with a couple of different like like, shots of, of either side of him and him just being like, Mushu Park. I, <laughs> yeah. It would have been like a three and a half star yeah. movie. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, I thought it was brilliant. And I, I, I'm i sure there's probably uh, some political allegory going on that went completely over my head because I don't know anything about the history of Ireland. But, well, um, it's
1: okay. You know, it's funny you say that because when, yeah. I, when I said that it was a nearly flawless film sure. – It is actually the political allegory part that is for me, the flaw, Um, you know, because the the movie is about these two friends who have a falling out and, and the falling out is fucking hilarious because it's just, it's just Brendan, and this is not giving anything away because it's right at the start of the film. It's just Brendan Gleeson basically saying, I'm sorry, but you're boring. And we talk about boring shit and I'm, I'm too old to just keep wasting my time talking about boring shit. And this is in a village or, you know, an island where there's like a hundred mm-hmm. people. So, you know, like mm-hmm. to just bail on your friend because he's boring is such a funny thing to do. Um, and the whole movie is driven by this conflict between them and, and Colin Farrell being just like flabbergasted at, at what has played out. But the civil war in Ireland is taking place on the mainland, just across mm-hmm. from the island. The, it's a fictional island, but, you know, this island on the west of of uh, Ireland. Sure. And it's meant to be obviously a a metaphor. Now it is, is a metaphor where the civil war is a metaphor for the conflict between Brendan Gleeson, uh, column in the, in the movie and Colin Farrell's Mm -hmm. character Padraig, or is it that the conflict between the two friends is meant to be a metaphor for the civil war? And if it is the latter, then I have beef because, um, the civil war in Ireland. Was yeah, I don't about, think it really works. No, done not at all. It was a it. There was something yeah. hugely important at stake in the civil war. It was uh, a war against English occupation and colonialism, um, which stopped short mm. um, too soon. And some people were like, "No, we have not actually finished this fight for independence." And others were like, "This is yeah. good enough. We've got our own flag." Um, hugely, hugely important. Uh, things were at stake in that war. Which is not the case on in a Sharon
0: between Kahlo and Padraig. It's something yeah. quite, quite. Which is why I don't actually think that that it is intended as a straight one-to-one political allegory. I, I, I as I said, this is this one's a thinker. Yeah, there, I think there's more going on. Um, and it's uh, we can discuss that when we yeah. we'll do a Martin McDonough episode uh, we should we Why should not? because
1: yeah, yeah to to pair it with In Bruges I mean both movies were just yeah. so good absolutely um,
0: loved In Bruges and I will I will say just to close it out uh, though that a movie called The Banshees of Inna Sharon about two Irish guys at the end of the Civil War who decide to stop being friends is is like basically note for note a movie i would make up to make (laughs) fun of like the oscars yeah or like for for more inside baseball like the kind of movie that i would say vias likes who (laughs) the guy that i i I do another show with him and i i share a criterion collection he gave me his password for it or whatever. Uh, that is nonetheless like almost a perfect movie yeah
1: yeah Um, yeah yep great film recommended highly um Okay, next uh, I've got two more on my list. Uh, one is The Northmen, mm-hmm. um, which I yeah. uh, I just watched, uh, mm-hmm. and I, and I I watched it and immediately put it on my list. It was one that was on your list, and and I I knew I had wanted to see it. I was waiting for it to be available on a streaming site. It finally became available on a streaming site that I have, so I was like, I'm going to grab this. Yeah. Um, it's excellent. I mean, uh, th- I don't have a lot really to say. I'm still kind of thinking through it. But, um, mm. you know, the, the basic premise, which is that, um, you know, uh, Robert Eggers, who, who did the the Vich, um, yes. you know, the folk horror movie, the, the Vich, uh, <laughs> yes. he, he basically applies the same sort of tonal stuff mm-hmm. to uh, a Viking saga um, and, and a particular Viking saga that is the story upon which Shakespeare based Hamlet. So you're watching this movie, this sort of old, you know, Norse Viking situation that's playing out that's kind of like Hamlet, but is not. Mm -hmm. And it diverges from Hamlet in in a lot of uh, real ways and is infinitely darker and more uncanny as those Norse sagas tended to be. So, yeah, I thought it was great. I was blown away by the performances of the non-Scandinavian actors. Um, oh, yeah. like Particularly Nicole Kidman, who is a relatively mm-hmm. small role. I wasn't even sure it was her at first because I couldn't believe oh, sure. that she yeah. would be able to, to, to successfully pull off what she, she did. She is
0: low-key good. Oh, yeah. Like, no, I've always thought I, she I think was people like... people underestimate her.
1: Yeah, well, I did. Yeah. I always thought she was, you know, above average, but I wouldn't have... Mm-hmm but this was i mean when she starts like screaming in old norse uh like it's yeah. in, it's surprising and and really good um she does
0: uh she does like characters that have like an undercurrent of um cruelty and perhaps instability oh yeah uh very well particularly i think because she's had a lot of plastic surgery. <laughs> okay. And so uh she kind of has this uh when when she's not emoting has this very frozen look uh mm-hmm. to her that I think like I think I'm pro plastic surgery. Do it if you want to do it. <laughs> uh and this is why because it's going to make you better in weird but speaking uh, old Norse epic movies. Yeah. yeah. Uh no, so was... I will I, I have things to say about it okay. too but we'll we'll do that when we get to my Okay, list. well, I'll
1: leave it. I'll leave it there then. Um, and then the last one on my list uh, is is another one that probably a lot of people won't have seen. But let this be a oh, yeah, right. uh, recommendation. Okay, uh, and again. after
0: this, you can't you can't take the coward's way out. You have to say the other one that was that was almost <laughs> in your <laughs> okay. list. Okay, okay, Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, I will. Um, first, first, um, uh, Argentina, nineteen eighty five, is the title of the film. Um, it's not a great title. Uh, if I have a beef with the film, it's that the title is sure. not very compelling. Argentina, 1985. And that is the original
0: neutral milk hotel song. Yeah,
1: I know. Right. And that's the original (laughs) title. That's the original Spanish language, Argentinian title of the film. That's not like the shitty Netflix title that they give. I hate when Netflix gives an English language title to foreign movies that pisses me off so much, but this is not that this, that's just actually the title. So I actually didn't watch it for a while because of that. And then eventually I was like, no, I gotta, I gotta settle in with this. And it's incredible. Strangely enough, it's my second favorite movie with Ricardo Darín about the Argentinian <laughs> uh, military dictatorship, which very specific. Yeah. Is, is very incredibly specific. But that's because yeah. the other one is one of my top five films of all time. It's The Secret in Their Eyes, the obviously original The Secret in Their mm. Eyes. Um, this is basically about the court cases when they, in 1985, mm-hmm. finally legally held the leaders of the military government accountable for what happened. Tens of thousands of people killed and disappeared. Uh, It was a hugely important event in Argentina, a generationally defining kind of uh, moment in in reflection of what had happened. Um, It was really dangerous. It was really fraught. There was absolutely no certainty that um, the law would be upheld and that the military dictators would be held responsible. Uh, So it mattered a lot. The film is one of the really great things that the film does is... Throughout, it is shot to look like nineteen eighties footage. Now, it's like Mm -hmm. done very well, so that it it's not actually grainy. Like you can see everything very clearly. Like cinematography is really good, but it always Mm -hmm. has the kind of tint of film reels or even news reels in the Mm eighties. And so they actually intersperse some real footage. Uh, Very seamlessly, uh, you know, of the trial itself and of people speaking. And the most uh, affecting moment of the film—it's just a short clip. You can tell that it is real footage of a woman speaking about her her sister who was killed, Uh, and you know, just briefly, her throat catches. uh, And Mm -hmm. you you know, watching it, it's really it grabs you because it is so real. So just an incredible film
0: and and yeah, I can recommend Yeah, almost watched it that one just didn't have time, but one yeah. I want to see it. For sure. Worth it. Absolutely worth it. Yeah. On the note of cinematography too, just because I didn't I missed the chance to say it, but both uh Prey and Banshees have just really stunningly beautiful second unit stuff of just landscape shots, mm-hmm. probably drone shots mm-hmm. of big empty fields or you know the irish coastline uh, and that really added to both of those movies for totally. me totally well.
1: banshee banshee's made me want to be on in a sharon absolutely even, even despite the fact that you know every, everyone is a mess uh yeah, it, it yeah. just looks Certainly. so nice yeah totally uh so yeah to close out my my list is closed but uh i, I have to admit oh, yeah right i have to own own this um when i in- initially sent my list uh, to jackson I included a show, a show that well, somehow,
0: okay. yes, somehow it escaped my knowledge. Yeah. Okay. So there were there were two movies that were released in the early half of 2021. <laughs> yeah. And there was a series that was released in 2019. All of which is very funny. But that's not actually what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the movie that you apparently took off your list that was on your list that did come out very very recently in 2022. It's a movie directed by Ryan Johnson.
1: Oh. Okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, uh Glass Onion, a Knives Out movie. Uh, I don't know if I did. I ever put it on my best of? It I don't was think, on think your, I,
0: it was on one of your lists. It I was, think it was on, on your honorable. Best of, it but, was. I yeah. think
1: it was on my honorable mentions. Okay. All right. All right. And maybe it was. I you know maybe in the moment I maybe put it up up higher, but it sure. but it was certainly on my honorable mentions. It got it booted down and worked its way down. I have been given to believe that it is going to be on your worst of list. No comment.
0: Um, <laughs> my worst of list. We'll we'll get to it when we get to it. I just okay. want to... Not yep. out there that you yep. put that on your on your I thought your what list. you
1: were getting at was was so I initially on the list had yeah. sent Jackson um, a, 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 a TV series, series from, 2019. from 2019 that I somehow thought and I watched it yeah, in like 2019. Funny. I don't know how That's I so possibly funny. could have thought but it's it's a show called to the lake. Uh, mm. It is Russian and mm. and uh, it's actually really really good. It's a zombie yes. or pandemic apocalypse type show. Um, but set in Russia and with a lot of sort of Eastern European sensibilities about these things, um, I, I, if it's still available, I mean, I kind of think they've probably purged everything Russian from Netflix. Yeah. But if it's still available, oh God, yeah. it is a great show. It is really a very interesting twist on that genre. But also That's it's cool. from 2019.
0: So, All right. So for my best of list, uh, this is going to be pretty actually We're going to be able to get through this quite quickly. So what I'm going to do, it's in no particular order. I instead, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to group it together so that it leaves the maximum amount of time at the end for the ones I do want to talk about. First up, we'll just, I'll just go with the two we already discussed. Elvis and crimes of the future were on my, uh, were on my top 10 list, followed by, uh, some other ones that I just don't necessarily have a ton to say about the people you're paying to be in shorts. And Captain Ahab, the story of Dave Steeb, are both sports documentaries produced by SB Nation and written and directed by John Boyce, who I genuinely think is the greatest documentary filmmaker of our time. It is just absurd what he is able to do with a few graphics, Google Earth, a written script, and, you know, charts. Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both very different. People you're paying to be in shorts is a two and a half hour ish feature on the 2011 12 Charlotte Bobcats, or the team with the worst record in modern NBA history, I believe, owned by Michael Jordan. And if you're thinking, like, oh, these are just, you know, sports documentaries or whatever they actually have a very always mm-hmm, have mm-hmm. some kind of interesting political valence to them yeah yeah in the people you're paying to be in shorts they make a lot out of the fact that that michael jordan is basically the only labor billionaire yeah a, a guy who became a billionaire yes he did other things too but basically by working by being a basketball player and was able to work his way into eventually owning an nhl or an nba team um and they make uh, they they do a lot with that, and it's a very interesting exploration of a guy who was well, maybe as a player the biggest winner of all time, going and becoming a, an owner and being the the owner of the Sad Sack franchise that's never really done anything. So that is very cool. Captain Ahab is a series, I think a five-part series, about Dave Steeb, a Blue Jays pitcher, arguably the best pitcher of the 80s, who... It's basically centered around mostly uh, his quest to pitch a no-hitter. The guy had more no-hitters broken up in the ninth inning than I think any pitcher in uh, MLB history. It is literally beautiful. I won't spoil it, but there is a moment that literally made me tear up. It's brilliant. It's just really, really good. And I can't wait to watch
1: this. I really have wanted to watch that
0: you'll love it you you will love it you'll love both of them and i will also add by the way uh a little plug to for the third feature that john boys directed it's only 40 minutes long so i didn't count it but it's called section one and it is about uh the time a uh crazy sort of cia attached i think baltimore colts super fan crashed a plane into the stadium during uh, an uh, NFL football game. Yeah.
1: That's a thousand percent true. Yeah.
0: Holy yeah, shit. Yeah. In the 70s. Oh my so, God. So, yeah. Watch all three of these. Yeah. They're they're brilliant, both you and the listeners. And the, the Dave Steve series, by the way, I, like a firm five stars, probably like third or fourth on my list. Wow. Uh, after that, we have uh, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, uh, which is just a beautiful stop motion film genuinely a movie for kids and adults in a way that uh Pixar sort of used to do this but doesn't really anymore hasn't for their last few movies it's just it's just great it's just it's really a really great meditation on grief it's really cute like just painfully cute sometimes marcel is uh such a great iconic character and i hope they make like five more of these things cuz they're great then we have uh, Jackass forever, which was, I think the first movie I saw in the theater kind of post lockdown. I didn't grow up with Jackass. Uh, I kind of got into it as this movie was coming out because people were talking about it. And I thought that like the previous three movies were funny. They had their moments, but this one is brilliant. It's great from start to finish. There's almost no gross out gags. It's all stupid stunts and people doing stupid things. And I have not laughed that hard at a movie i in I don't even know how long saw it with a friend of mine. the whole theater was just freaking out and laughing, and it was just such a such a purely joyful experience in the middle of such a depressing, horrible time and it was genuinely um it warmed the cockles of my heart <laughs> to see these guys not only doing this but also. Very obviously taking COVID extremely seriously. When they're near each other, everyone is masked up. They had to get COVID tests every day, like before the shoot. And, uh, it also adds to, uh, the fact that on the rare, relatively rare occasions, thankfully, uh, that guys like throw up from something, they're doing it into surgical masks. <laughs> uh it was great it was uh a genuinely a five-star film for for what it is for what it was trying to do i really think johnny knoxville in particular is a very lovable sweet man uh with a good heart who uh for some god reason is dedicated to destroying his testicles for our <laughs> entertainment so so uh hats off to him and so that leaves us with uh the ones that i actually do want to spend some time to discuss uh The first is Top Gun Maverick. Uh, I don't have a ton to say about it, but I will just say it it deserves the praise that it got. It's a thrilling movie. It's kind of stupid in places, but that's what you go in expecting. All of the flight stuff is brilliant, is amazing. They're real planes. Uh, What you're watching is really happening. It's a really, really nice breath of fresh air from the CGI slug fests that have come to dominate uh the modern box office tom cruise is great in it i mean yeah i
1: i will say i will say with respect to tom cruise like i so i haven't i didn't see top gun but um i love the mission impossible movies yeah i don't care that they're stupid they are stupid Yeah. Uh, yeah i don't care the the stunts are so fun and and the fact that Tom Cruise basically was like, "Okay, I've done like being a movie star, you know, I've done being a heartthrob. Now what I'm going to do is like increasingly death defying stunts for for the rest of my life until I'm in my 80s. Pretty impressive. It's super impressive. It's really funny. And I remember uh, during the making of the, the most recent Mission Impossible, that was also since you mentioned it was also early pandemic. And there was this leaked footage or leaked audio that came out of Tom Cruise absolutely freaking out, going fucking ballistic at, the I guess, the cast crew, whoever was not taking COVID protocols seriously enough. And, you know, in his really high squeaky voice, Tom Cruise is just screaming at them about the importance of this movie and bringing joy to people's homes in a terrible time. And how could you put it at risk by not wearing a mask like he was just livid?
0: kind of endearing yes like in a strange way oh yeah because it is it is on the one hand it's like okay it's this fucking like giant millionaire maybe screaming at like some employee or whatever which is you know eh. sure yeah but the fact that the fact that he did present it in this way of like like I remember the one thing I definitely remember him saying is he goes we are talking about the future of our industry. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, totally. And he was right. Like yeah. he was basically saying like like he's like we have to prove that we can do this. Yeah. Or there's just not going to be movies. Yeah. Like for who knows how long. Yeah. And who knows if the machine could could keep running for and as it turned out and you know obviously there's a, there's lots to be said about it but as it turned out like there basically was enough in the tank, in yeah. the hopper, for the industry to, to survive Yeah. Uh, through the period where they couldn't do anything. Uh, But, yeah, I found it kind of endearing uh, yeah. that he, you know, the man, th- th- people talk about Scientology or whatever, but the man's real religion is movies. <laughs> yeah, well, his, his real
1: religion is, like, throwing himself out of airplanes, <laughs> like, you know, or helicopters, <laughs> yeah, yeah. clinging so, to the edge of them, you know, the whole bit, so...
0: Top Gun, Maverick, unexpectedly fantastic, way better than the original. Miles Teller, surprisingly good in it. Definitely some cheesy stuff and also like hilariously takes place in an alternate universe where the United States military is being outpaced by some other undeter- <laughs> like, <laughs> sure. undetermined country. Of course. And I, but I will say, I respect the choice that they do not say what country it is. Yeah, fair enough. So... While it is a rah rah, Semperfy like military propaganda movie, it is only a pro America movie and not an anti some other place movie. And so that makes it, yeah, that makes it a lot easier to digest. Uh, After that, I have Hustle, which is. A movie, uh, it stars Adam Sandler. It's a Happy Madison movie, shockingly, but not really a comedy. It stars Adam Sandler as a scout for, I believe, the Philadelphia 76ers. Yes, it's the Philadelphia 76ers. And um, he is beloved by the team's owner. He's a great, he's like a super scout. Um, He was a a really, a a once highly touted prospect who suffered an injury and, and never played again. And then the owner that's, that smiles upon him so much dies and the team is taken over by the owner's dipshit evil fail son. And basically it's the story of the, the dream of every scout, which is to discover a giant six foot eight, like titan, an Anthony Davis type player who like, like just like a giant of a man who has the skill of of like a six foot one guy you know what i mean Mm -hmm. playing pickup basketball on a parking lot in spain (laughs) um and it's the story of him trying to get this guy drafted basically first by his own team and then later just basically throwing his career and life down the toilet to to try to get this this kid or kid he's like 22 or whatever an NBA career because he gave it up to raise, uh, a daughter because he, he impregnated a, a girl when he was a teenager and became like a construction worker or whatever. Very earnest, very sports movie, but did a thing that I really, really loved, which was to, cause there's only so much you can do with a sports movie, right? Like it's, yeah, it generally yeah. is going to hit the same beats. It's about, you know, rooting for, the underdog kind of usually right Mm -hmm. it's always going to hate those hit those same like uplifting beats even if someone loses in the end they're going to be a lovable loser or whatever and so you're kind of limited with what you can do but one thing that this movie does that i haven't really seen before is it's not a team versus team it's not a team versus the world like moneyball or whatever Mm -hmm. it is very specifically player and scout versus owner And that is how the conflict is presented. Mm. Um, and as somebody who knows a lot of people who work in sports and who work for sports teams, I thought it basically nailed how the office politics of a sports team work, Mm. how they operate and what happens when you fall out of favor and, um, had a surprisingly like materialist outlook Mm -hmm. and analysis for a sports movie and, um, and I, I really loved it. I I thought uh, I super happy to see not only Adam Sandler be in another great role so soon after Uncut Gems, but also have it be in a movie about basketball.
1: Yeah, yeah. where
0: all the basketball players are played by real basketball players, which he is extremely cool. He just
1: loves that shit.
0: And then, yeah, and then uh, I, I I I thought it did a really good job of sort of people talk about the media a lot as this monolith or whatever, and I think we, as a culture, as a society, we understand that the media is important, but we don't weight it properly. And this movie kind of shows very, very specifically why the media can be such a dangerous thing. And specifically, it's when it is a mouthpiece for power, as it Mm. is portrayed in this movie with the owner kind of using his lackeys in the media to try to destroy this guy's career. Mm. Uh, So, yeah, I thought it was really brilliant. That's enough on that one cuz we're 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 getting into it now we got to we got to start speeding up a little bit. Uh so next up is The Northman and then I only have one more after that. What I wanted to say about The Northman is that I really like Robert Eggers. I've seen all three of his movies. I thought this was firmly the best one of the three. What's the but, other one? What's the third uh, the one? the Lighthouse. Oh, I haven't seen that. It's good. Okay. Uh I like in order I would say The Northman is the best, then The Lighthouse, then The Witch. The Witch is a movie that's like I respected it and was interested and fascinated by it more than I liked it. Okay, yeah, fair. And I thought this movie kind of delivered on the promise of The right. Witch. And yeah, the yeah. the thing that Eggers does specifically in those two movies, and also in The Lighthouse a little bit, that I think is very interesting, is he portrays human society of a hundred plus years ago. In The Lighthouse, it's about a hundred years ago, and then in The Witch, it's called, it's like uh, Pilgrim era America. And then in, uh, the Northmen, it's like, you know, it's circa fun. 800 AD Norse society or whatever, right? He portrays those humans as essentially aliens, mm-hmm. people that have basically nothing in common yeah. with the people of today, uh, with modern society. And I think it does this interesting thing where it kind of tells us it, it's a testament to why you don't have to tie things to the current cultural moment to have a lot to say about the current cultural moment or about or that we can take away and apply to to our lives into modern society and I think one thing that basically uh this movie in particular does really well at least for me and I don't know if it's intentional or not but I think it really destroys the idea of like heritage as something that is worth preserving mm-hmm because obviously, like Vikings and stuff. And side note, by the way, the next Predator movie should be a movie where the Predator fights Vikings. <laughs> yeah. Norse mythology and and Vikings and paganism or whatever is something that's really uh, having its moment now on the right. I was going to say a, the same thing a, exactly. A thing to 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 return to or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now, granted, you can't make a Viking movie without making it awesome because everything about it is so damn cool. And uh, and the violence is thrilling and everything. But if you dig a little deeper, everything in this movie sucks. Mm-hmm. It's not a nice way to live. No one is happy. Everything mm-hmm. is miserable. Some people have tried to make the point that, like, the, the king that that takes over from Amleth's father is actually, like, a better king. I don't even really buy that, but I but I will say that there's no real fucking difference Mm -hmm. between either of the two of them. You have no real reason to be invested in Amleth getting his revenge Mm -hmm. because no one in the movie is likable at all. Exactly. The only character in the movie who's even just the slightest bit sympathetic or likable is Amleth's, like, girlfriend Mm -hmm. or whatever, played by Anya Taylor-Joy. And so... I thought I I thought I just thought it was, all of these movies kind of are a very interesting way of 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 deconstructing our historical nostalgia for periods of time that we essentially know nothing about like yeah. the fucking yeah. people who you know like the the varg Vikerns of the world who are who want to return to pagan nordic society or whatever they don't fucking even know what it was like or exactly. what things were and it sucked yeah it exactly. fucking sucked
1: yeah they wouldn't last a day the people that want to go back to and and you know restore the you know yes. odin and all it's like you wouldn't last a fucking day in that society no. because it was a brutal brutal you society think
0: that you would be alexander skarsgård looking wiry and fucking just like <laughs> yeah. torqued yeah and just fucking like you know, decapitating people and 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 biting into their throats, and what you would really be is you would be one of the poor skinny motherfuckers inside one of the houses that they exactly. burned down exactly. with all the people inside. Yeah, exactly. And I I don't know that that's the point he's trying to make, but I like that you can take that away from it. Yeah,
1: at the very totally. Least.
0: totally. Yeah. Uh, any did you want to add anything no, about the north no, before just I get the, to my last one?
1: I, I I agree with you, and I also think it's the. It's the making strange of the Vikings, right? It's mm-hmm. it's taking yeah. the Vikings, which have um, gone through this, as you say, this weird kind of rehabilitation um, and sort of mythologization. It also, you know, it's the far right doing it, but it's also, you know, the MCU versions of Thor and Loki. Yeah, we that all kind of do it. Yeah, it's, it's just it's you happening, know. right? And taking it and making it not just brutal, but also very strange. Um, I think the film very consciously made it all super strange. Um, I I did a bit of reading about it and they were actually really meticulous in their reconstruction Mm. of the kind of the social um, uh, experience of people uh, in that moment. And and where they didn't necessarily copy directly like, oh, here's a ritual that was done. We'll do that in the film. Instead, Mm. they got the the mentality they figured out the kind of the mentality of the rituals and then recreated or or created new versions of them you know like when ethan hawk does the thing where he's howling like a dog and makes his makes amleth you yes. know howl like yes. a dog it's really fucking weird and willem defoe's in there being weird and, and it's super bjork's weird. in there being yeah. weird they're all it's all really strange And that to me was the strength of it was to just say, like, you fucking people don't know anything about what it was like to be a Viking and to live in the old Norse Mm -hmm. like world. It was weird and and in many ways, like scary and shitty, (laughs) you know, so stop pretending it was like a Thor movie.
0: Three more. Yeah, exactly. Three more very rapid fire points. One, I thought that they did a very good job of kind of blurring the line between reality and fantasy. everything that happens in the movie that has a fantastical element to it could be real or it could be imagined and that is something that they 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 blurred that line very effectively Mm -hmm. um because i think that there's a reading of this movie that is that is like no like this is really happening and 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 it's a, a faithful rendering of like what the vi- what Vikings believe and and their mythology or whatever. And then there's another reading of the movie that is Amleth is a fucking nutcase mm-hmm. and he has visions mm-hmm. from probably who fucking even knows. Like there's a scene where he doubt he doses people with shrooms. So I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, who knows why yeah. he's having these visions? But I think that's a, a legitimate reading. Uh, number two, they ADR'd a ton of the dialogue in this, which I thought was interesting. And the reason being that they originally. Uh, Did more period accurate um, language, but it kind of bombed with test audiences because Mm -hmm. they couldn't understand what was going on. And I actually respect this choice a lot because that was something that I struggled with a lot in The Witch. Right. Okay. So so good on them for realizing their mistake and fixing it. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing is um, Robert Eggers needs to direct a Moby Dick adaptation. Oh, God, that would rule. It would be so fucking good that would really Unbel- it would he is the guy who could do it and yeah. i really hope somebody gets on that because that like would that would that would absolutely okay and my number one movie of the year don't care uh avatar the way of water <laughs> uh, what i will say about it is this we will do a james cameron episode yeah yeah one. yeah
1: save most of that
0: two uh james cameron is the barry bonds of cinema you can complain all wow. you fucking want about wow. whether it should count <laughs> okay about whether like uh, you know you can even whine and be like, oh, it's not real, it doesn't count because me me meh, meh, This this motherfucking guy is going to have like 3 of the top 4 highest grossing movies of all time. And, you know, if you don't like how he did it because he, you know, re-released Avatar a bunch of times, like you are whining about steroids in baseball. Oh, Shut up. Wow. No one cares. Wow. Um, okay. That's what I think anyway. Okay. Okay. Can't believe anybody ever doubted this movie when the first one did as well as it did. Um, okay fundamentally it's a great blockbuster that looks great like nothing else that's coming out right now looks like this they've showed a trailer before it for guardians of the galaxy three and a half or whatever it fucking is it looks like shit like compared to this like Hmm. it's the best cg i've ever seen in any movie ever which is a thing that i would have said in 2009 when avatar came out as well well totally warrants being (laughs) totally warrants being three hours long beautiful to look at thrilling action there is a a scene where uh Zoe Saldana uh stabs a guy with an arrow and then shoots the arrow through the guy into another guy brilliant I understand there are uh, some criticisms about how these movies reference uh indigenous culture that i I think I want to kind of sidestep for now um because they are, um, worth getting into. And I don't think that they're, I think I have mixed feelings about them, I guess is what I will say.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I don't should... want to
0: rush through them because, yeah, because they're, they, they're worth a
1: proper kind of breakdown, I think.
0: Exactly. But I, I will say, I think that they are, both of these movies are for the fact that they are totally broad, like extremely broad for children almost. Action sci fi movies have a legitimately like, pretty good politics anti-colonial i would say like most of most of james cameron's movies the things that that draw his ire are good things even if you know i wouldn't just james cameron's probably a fucking billionaire like he's not a socialist or whatever but like the things that draw his ire corporate greed cops people who destroy the environment all good all very worthy targets and not nearly targeted enough in action movies and even if like all this is is just a 3 hour sci-fi epic that's message is save the whales that's great in my opinion okay like that's a lot fucking better than could be expected of any other movie in the same vein that has come out in the last like 10 years basically and i actually think it has a lot more to say than than even than even just that and uh, i'll also say by the way that to the extent that this movie is quote-unquote about indigenous people, you can say 1,000% the same thing about the movie Dune and Islam, and there are, to the best of my knowledge, like no Muslim actors in Dune, and nobody had a problem with that. And there actually are indigenous actors in Avatar and Avatar The Way of Water. Like, are there enough? Are there ever enough? I think is a reasonable question. I'm really open to like a fair discussion of that but the it's not like the the criticisms of of this movie are are unique or or on the one hand or on the other hand like i think particularly specific so that's what i'll say about it (laughs) Love watching it
1: yeah we will have to come back that deserves fuller discussion i mean i you know i'm not ready i'm gonna i'm leaving you on that plank for now i'm not ready to come to your aid but i am prepared to say there is something i agree with you that there is something about james cameron's movies in particular that people pull at um i think Mm -hmm. perhaps rightly so uh, but nevertheless he is treated he is subjected to the fullness of the critiques that could be brought where other filmmakers for some reason are not i think you actually the dune comparison is a good one i didn't Mm -hmm. hear nearly any of that, of the, of the same type of criticism of Dune. And I mean, it probably deserves to be there. Um, certainly Star Wars, so. you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, we love to celebrate George Lucas for saying explicitly, yeah, the Rebel Alliance is the Viet Cong, mm-hmm. which, yeah. cool. I mean, I'm down. That's yeah. great. There are also but,
0: no Asians in yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> right? I mean, why, then why is Luke Skywalker
1: <laughs> yeah. the Viet Cong? Like that's, you know, and, and so, yeah, um, I, I think, there's perhaps some double standards going on there, but we th- it, this is all worth a bigger discussion. I think we should exactly, we should really yes. do that yes. as, a, as an episode.
0: J- James Cameron absolutely needs his own episode. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. So that's it for my okay. for my best. Okay. So we have, by my count, about fifteen minutes to 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 fire through our worst. I'll let you go first. Yeah, honestly.
1: Honestly, I don't have much to say about any of these. I mean, they're, they're on my, I didn't, these are not, um, movies I hated as much as they're just movies that I found boring or, or disappointing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the most disappointing one for me was all quiet on the Western front because there's so much potential in that story, um, to do like really deep criticism of capitalist imperialism. That's what it should be. That's what the book in some ways is. And the film just totally um, stopped short of, of that. The film does a very superficial critique um, of capitalism and militarism, and it is very superficial. Uh, and I hated that. They don't even mention, there's not even a mention in the film of the socialist revolutions that were taking place. I mean, World War I mm-hmm. ends with a, re- a socialist revolution in Russia and a socialist revolution yeah. in Germany where the action is supposedly taking place. They don't even mention the Bolsheviks.
0: Yeah, which a lot uh, of people forget
1: yeah yeah yes yeah. exactly especially in the case of germany been completely written out of history and this movie yeah. contributes to writing fucking you know Karl liebnik and uh
0: rosa Luxemburg out of history it's really irritates me out of history yeah. so um yeah i uh i was gonna see it and then i saw it on your worst of list yeah. and then uh, so i i tabled it it's i will probably watch it at some point yeah. yeah yeah um the other ones uh, that I didn't like, I mean,
1: my I saw Mind Cage and I was just bored as shit by that movie. I don't have anything to say sure. except that it's boring. It's a boring. movie
0: called Mind Cage. It,
1: yeah, that's enough. Yeah. That's all you need to know. Um, uh, Licorice yeah. Pizza, I was disappointed. I find I've found P. T. Anderson ah, okay. to become yeah. just really uh, just up his own ass and.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, I, I just could wasn't see that. into it, and
1: and truthfully, I like. I don't necessarily think it's some groundbreaking and like taboo busting thing to have a 15 year old and a 25 year old in a romance. Like, I think that's actually kind of messed up.
0: And, oh, I, yeah, yeah. You know, no, like, I agree. So, yeah. what I'll say about it is that my, my feeling about the movie was that it was a pretty good movie that became a quite bad movie because of the ending. Yeah, that's fair. Like, if if it is, if it was just a movie, I th- I thought a lot of it was was good. Like, I I went and saw it in the theater. I enjoyed it for the most part. Like, I was in engaged throughout. I do find it weird, kind of, that people were so okay with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, what I will say about it is that basically the movie only works if you think the last scene is imagined
1: mm-hmm. okay. by the yeah.
0: by the main character, sure. which and that's not like you kind of have to stretch to think that. So like, there's nothing in the movie that would, that would give you that. So, you know, it would work save for the ending as a meditation on a a thing that I think a lot of people have felt at some point in their life or have gone through or have understood where you're a kid and you are into an older person and, but you don't yet have the experience or the understanding to to grasp why that is appropriate or it doesn't make sense sure and so it is always this this purely pining thing that you can never have yeah right sure and so if the movie was just that and the the main um girl in it whose name escapes me at the moment was name. was only ever the object of that or and and not the subject or or i don't know if i'm yeah yeah I, articulating I this well necessarily but like it's actually the fact that she exercises her own agency at the end of the movie that makes it not work, yeah. which is a weird thing to say, Yeah, but it's it's true. Like, it, a, a movie about a 15-year-old being into a 25-year-old, especially from a male perspective, mm-hmm. can be an interesting thing in a coming-of-age movie. But if the woman at the end is like, yeah, actually, me too, then it totally recontextualizes the whole thing and makes it fucking weird. Exactly. Yeah, And I thought it was strange that more people... Like, I, I hate doing this thing where you you reverse the genders of something to make a point. Exactly. Because I think it often falls short because it's yep. not the same. Exactly. But having said that, if you reverse the genders in this movie, there's no question that everyone would think it was fucking creepy as shit. Absolutely. And predatory. have a problem with it. Yeah, so, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, That's exactly
1: know. it. I And I I agree with you. Like, that reversal thing is often done in bad faith. But I think in this case... The, the the reversal makes the point because because the gender isn't actually the operative thing that's happening there. It's the it's mm-hmm. the predatory age gap thing that's yeah. happening. That's yeah. the operative thing. So yeah,
0: an actual I, problematic age gap.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> not, fifteen, not one of these bullshit Twitter ones. Yeah, like yeah, exactly, exactly. It, it isn't age gaps aren't inherently a problem, but when one person is fifteen and the other is twenty five, yes, yeah. it is child and adult. Like, come on, yeah,
0: yeah. So all right. yeah, so um,
1: yeah, didn't like it anymore. Uh, the other ones were okay. Mortal Kombat, which I just I really wanted Mortal Kombat to be great. Sure. Like I yeah. wanted it to be fun, and it wasn't. It sucked. The Lost Daughter, I really disliked. I I, I found it just I was I was shocked at the way that critics loved it. Um, mm-hmm. um and you know maybe I, maybe if I read the book I'd see it differently. But uh, as sure. much as I like Olivia Coleman, I just I really didn't like the movie at all. Um, and then the last one on my list is Don't Look Up uh which i know is also on your list that was a late 2021 yes. i think
0: yeah i think it but, technically gets grandfathered in because it's a december 2020 yeah i mean um, it
1: was so stupid and i i mean this is a good segue yeah. to your list because i know you want to talk about glass onion <laughs> yeah um you know what i what i think of don't look up is probably similar to what you think of glass onion which is like it wasn't funny um yeah it wasn't clever Um, We all understood we were, it was, it was hammering a a somewhat liberal critique home. I'm using liberal critically here. Uh, You know, I would have preferred a more left critique. Uh, It was way too liberal um, and so fucking smug and so self-satisfied, just dripping with um, Mm self-satisfaction that made me want to actively be a reactionary like, like when, when something is so smug about being liberal that you actually start to sympathize with reactionaries with, who hate liberals. People. Right. Yeah. So, and that's what that movie did for
0: me. On that note, yeah. um, I, I say my criticism of Don't Look Up is similar to my criticism of Nope in just one aspect and one aspect only and that is that i watch it and i think you can do better man Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you can do better than this and and we should hold you to a higher standard adam mckay can do better than this Mm -hmm. he i think he if he wants to tackle stuff like this in the future he needs to work with somebody smarter than he is Mm -hmm. uh to kind of sharpen the critiques a little bit because Mm -hmm. i actually think adam mckay has pretty decent politics and his heart's in the right place and he he's obviously can be very funny we know he can be funny um anyone who's seen you know anchorman anchorman is a funnier more insightful satire than this movie is uh he can do better he should do better thought it was very bad even from uh just a storytelling standpoint there's whole sections that are just boring and and not interesting Mm -hmm. so OK, once again, grouping these through very quickly uh, where the crowd ads sing mostly just mer- mediocre, uh, but sort of uh, angering because uh, it's the kind of thing that like could have been a good like Joel Schumacher, a time to kill style movie in the 90s and instead is a movie released now that sucks. Um, mm-hmm. Father Stu, that that was my fault for watching it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say about that, that. List, Yeah, do revenge uh, firmly a movie that's not for me. A movie about Gen Z that felt extremely written by a millennial and felt like a lot of regurgitated shit that Gen X said about me when I was Mm. 20. Mm -hmm. Um, Didn't like it. The Atom Project, again, just deeply mediocre, but stop de-aging people using CGI. It looks like shit. Yeah, Um, totally. Okay. Following that up, uh, Don't Worry Darling. Uh, Another movie that I actually thought was mostly just mediocre, but was mediocre in a very fascinating way both in terms of the discourse it generated um, about what was going on on uh, on set, which felt like it must have been created to juice interest in the movie because uh, actor and director don't like each other is not usually a thing that can uh, (laughs) sustain itself through like six months of news cycles. felt like a Black Mirror episode from 2017, Mm -hmm. uh, but a decent one. And But it's a testament to... Uh, as as we'll get into with glass onion um the problem of trying to tie your uh movie into the zeitgeist into the discourse <laughs> right the half life of that especially right now in the age of the internet is very short mm-hmm. um and to to just dance over glass onion my biggest complaint about glass onion was this it was it was a movie that was rendered unfunny by real life happening yeah everything that has happened to Elon Musk in the last month is funnier and more on the nose than anything that happens in that movie. Mm-hmm. Which is why I request that humbly that we nominate it to be the next episode that we do. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, we'll, well, Glass Onion and Knives Out, next episode. Yeah. You, qui- you quite liked it. I yeah. basically hated it. And we've both already seen it. So that works. It'll yeah. kind of make up for... Uh, all the time that we spent watching movies for this one.
1: Yeah, that works. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, with Glass Onion the only thing I'll say is that I enjoyed it at the time. Um mm-hmm. I in the same way that I enjoyed Knives Out, I enjoyed it as I was watching it. Yeah, Knives um, Out I thought was good. Yeah, definitely. And and I and I I liked this uh, as I was watching it. Um it drifted out, you're right, I checked. It was initially on my best of list. It drifted to my honorable mentions and then it drifted out of them. In part because. By watching of, superior movies that
0: I recommended. Yeah,
1: to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I was just the power of your persuasion. No, but I That's actually, right. the yeah. thing is, it, you're right, it became less funny the more real life was funnier. But. I mean, I'm not sure. And we'll take this up when we talk about it. I'm not sure it's fair to blame the film. The film was written and this was all created before Elon Musk made such an ass of himself.
0: I will give it that. So It's not his
1: fault. Exactly. Like timeline stuff there. But anyways, um, I'll let you finish your list because I know we're up against the clock. Nothing
0: sums what the movie is attempting to do and failing to do up better than the fact that it features Jeremy Renner as a name drop, as a joke. Uh-huh, yeah. And mm-hmm. N- Jeremy Renner is now possibly, like, in a coma forever yeah. for the rest of his life. Like, yeah. I feel like that is a very st- strong microcosm of what happened to yeah. this movie. But yeah, we'll, that's a, we'll, we'll get to do a full episode about yeah. it, so I'm really excited. Because I, I think it's it's totally worth discussing over a full episode. Yeah. So, that leaves me with one movie uh, that... It was a movie that I thought was just okay, but that both the response to it and the movie itself pissed me off so much that it rendered it into my worst list. And that movie (laughs) is the Batman. (laughs) Yeah. And so I recently went back and watched The Dark Knight, which proved to me that you can make these movies good. Mm -hmm. The Dark Knight is a good movie. Mm -hmm. Um, The performances are good. The writing is mostly pretty good it's kind of realistic, but it's not trying too hard to be. It it doesn't seem actually like it's trying too hard to be dark with the benefit of hindsight, because everything that's come after it has tried so much harder to be Mm -hmm. dark. Yeah. And you know, the political valence of it is questionable. It's certainly less um, straightforward than the one in this one, but I still think it is interesting and it's trying to deal with, with Batman as a character in an interesting way uh, has some interesting ideas about, you know, vigilante justice run amok, especially with the uh, surveillance thing. And, I, and I, it, it. my the only thing on this is that the um, Christopher Nolan
1: trilogy is, I would say, quite fascist and quite fascistic. Uh, yeah.
0: But I mean, I'd have to see the third one again.
1: Yeah. I, I, OK, so, yes. So the third yeah. one is the key to that. So that's. Yeah. Point. Yeah. It, I think uh-huh. it's quite fascistic, but they're better movies
0: yeah exactly so yeah
1: which doesn't excuse the fascism but batman is a fascist character there's really no way to retcon batman out of like he's a fascist vigilante exactly. who's mad that the cops aren't doing
0: enough to fight crime to fight poor people so and you know so because of that reason that is part of why the batman doesn't work for me. yes yeah it tries to make batman better mm-hmm. and as a result it just the movie just kind of falls apart yeah, for yeah. me as a result. Well, that's not actually my biggest complaint of it. My biggest complaint is a purely aesthetic one. There was a movie that people were making fun of recently because it was on a lot of best of lists at the end of the year, that is a documentary that is mostly a a black screen with sound and just a few like images that pop up at certain times. And uh, I remember when I heard about it, I was like, oh, so they made a documentary about the making of the Batman. (laughs) This movie is literally fucking imperceptible at times. It's so dark. It's so dark. (laughs) Like, it's it's like someone was like, we need to make the darkest Batman yet. And then whatever the guy's name is, Matt Reeves or whatever, like a literal
1: interpretation
0: was like, literally, oh, you want me to have no lighting in this movie? Yeah. Yeah. The best action scene from it is actually stolen directly from the Dark Knight, which is where uh, strobe lights light Batman as he beats the shit out of people. Yeah. Stolen directly from the Dark Knight, which I didn't realize. And that's the only like thing that I thought was really, really popped for me visually. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about Colin Farrell, love Colin Farrell. His character just felt totally out of place in this movie. Yeah. It uh, didn't work for me at all. I know a lot of people thought he was really good. I thought the prosthetic makeup looked really stupid. Yeah. He looks way too much like former Canucks general manager Jim Benning in it. <laughs> he did. Matt kept t- taking me out of it. He did. Um, the hair, yeah. And uh, and so I had a problem with that. And then everyone in this movie at some point tries to do Batman voice. So yeah. there's there are scenes, particularly Jeffrey Wright, who mm-hmm. plays Commissioner Gordon, There are scenes where Gordon and Batman are literally going like, what do you think we should do? Well, I don't know. What do you think we should do? <laughs> and yeah. then they're they're growling at each other. You can't hear what they're saying, yeah. and it's the screen is literally black, and you're like, this is not, <laughs> this is just nothing. This is a yeah. black hole. This is like where me with my friends be. at
1: a party. It's really late and dark, and we're all doing Christian Bale Batman impressions.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um. And then my my last thing too is yeah, I thought the politics of it, like the fact that they tried. To make it better actually just made it worse because totally. it's like I would rather watch a a filmmaker make a movie about a fascist that is and make the movie fascist but wrestle with the fact that it is fascist mm-hmm. than watch a, someone try to make a fascist not be fascist and yeah. in fact be good absolutely and uh, I, I I had an issue with you know I think they tried to do like a class thing in here but ultimately the Riddler's issues are are totally personal like your dad owned an orphanage that i got mistreated at yeah. it, it's very much like revenge it's not political yeah actually as much as they try to weave that in it's just a personal grievance yeah um, mm-hmm. which again it's it's, it's to yeah.
1: your point because like that the 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 batman story is always the same it's a villain with like a seemingly sort of class adjacent problem, but then in the Batman version of it, the class part becomes less important to the person than their personal thing and their personal Mm -hmm. vendetta, which they invariably take a thousand steps too far, uh, you know, and turn it into, and therefore I have to do a serial killing, which then justifies the Batman's, you know, like vigilante response. I mean, that's that's the playbook for Batman is take class related or class adjacent problems turn them into villainous plots and then have Batman kick their fucking ass and and it's it is fascistic in in its in its general yes. thrust so to try to rehabilitate it and soften it and somehow make it like no no
0: no Batman's a fair like no it just doesn't work like you have to either just he has a thing where he is like oh I should be more philanthropic which i fucking hate yeah the other thing i hate about this movie too is he's he's the worst fucking detective of all time (laughs) like uh like he fucking just well actually no he's the second worst detective of all of all time after benoit Blanc. (laughs) um but uh he he like he just there's just shit in it that's so stupid like he he spray paints sins of the father on his fucking Floor inexplicably like it's going <laughs> to yeah. help him solve a mystery. He had to and look then, at it. He had to look at it. Doesn't solve Jackson. the mystery for another fucking hour of <laughs> film of, of, of movie. Yeah. I was was there anything else that I? Oh, and it has like seven different endings. Like there's there were seven probably times when I thought the movie was over. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. which I found deeply annoying. Um. But yeah, all of this is why Dark Knight is ultimately the best Batman movie because the bad guy in it is a he's just a force of nature who seems singularly hell bent on destroying Batman. And that is interesting because, <laughs> yeah. because you can kind of retcon it as being justified or as him just being like, no, this thing shouldn't exist. Yeah. And I'm just a crazy guy and I'm just hell bent <laughs> on destroying him. Yeah. And that is an interesting conflict yeah. because it's like two people who think that they're right, that are both not right. Yeah. For, for, a wrong for the right reasons and a right for the wrong reasons, yeah, yeah, guy, yeah totally. you know or whatever right, yeah, 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 anyways, I think that that closes out twenty twenty two um for us my my buddy is on his way to pick me up, so we have we have successfully done the episode in the Excellent. amount of time we had allotted for it. This is probably gonna be a long one, but I think it's gonna be. Uh, still a reasonable length. Yeah, we we contained, we contained, um, we we contained it to at least less than two hours, unlike the last one. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, stay tuned for uh for our Glass Onion episode. And don't forget to uh rate and review the show on your podcast platform of choice if you like it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Ah, yeah, fuck I just remembered I forgot to say I hated Pinocchio. I thought it was stupid. He he keeps dying over and over again and one of the times it's cuz he gets shot in the face by Mussolini. It's just stupid. I just didn't think it was good. Uh the animation is was good but uh Guillermo del Toro, he's like fucking Tim Burton. He's just way too far up his own ass with like visual stuff and then what he has to say is very surface level. Okay, bye.